0: if you're so rigid in what you do and what you think you can do then a you're being slightly untrue to yourself because you can often do an awful lot more than you think you can but also you you just you, you're forever judging yourself within that narrow band of, of, of what your skills are there's no way I could have stayed in the same place for that long if I hadn't been in a position to do all sorts of different things and and the development side there's never, there's never the same twice The difficulty when there was no market, it wasn't like you could say, we'll just cut our rent. There was no market.
1: Hello and welcome to The School of Hard Knocks, a new six-part series brought to you by EG Property Podcasts. I'm Sam McCleary and I'll be your host. Over the course of this series, we'll meet people who have lived through some of the highs and lows of this wonderful business of real estate. And through our conversations we'll dig deep into the skills the mindsets and the structures you need in place to successfully navigate tricky times originally designed as part of eg's next generation project to provide a tool for people in real estate who may have only worked during a period of low interest rates and high activity what follows is a series of conversations i guarantee everyone will find helpful inspiring and i said even entertaining In this third lesson in the School of Hard Knocks, I'm joined by Katie Kopek, International Director at JLL, who shares her story of a career spanning 40 years at The Consultant. Katie has held a range of roles at JLL, but is best known for her work in development. Wander through London and there is unlikely to be a major project that hasn't got a little bit of Katie in it. What Katie teaches us in this lesson is how to deal with shutdowns in the market, how to make yourself part of a place and to commit, And to make sure that you keep learning and flexing wherever you are. So sit back, get your pen and paper ready because it's time to enrol yourself in the school of hard knocks. Listen hard and enjoy because graduation promises a better grounding to navigate any of the knocks of the economy they throw your way. And listen to the end to see who's up next in the hard knocks timetable and why diversity in more forms than you might expect is key to resilience. Katie Kopek, welcome to the EG School of Hard Knocks, Uh, delighted to have you here and I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I think it's going to be quite different actually to some of our other professors. Um, and we can call you professor, actually, can't we? Almost. Honorary degree? Honorary degree, MBA. Yeah. 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 From
0: uh, University College of Estate Management in Reading. Fantastic. Which is extraordinary because I come from Reading and I actually, my first job in real estate was about 50 yards from where I picked up my degree, which is just amazing, just around right. the corner
1: that's a circle of life. It, it is indeed, really that's what I felt. C- cue the tune from The Lion King right here. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm, r- I'm really excited to have you here because I think this as I say will be a really different conversation because you have a story of amazing growth and an amazing career but in one place yes. and I think um, that's probably quite unusual to a lot of our younger listeners. You don't get people very often now who stay in a in a place for a long time Mm. so i'm really excited to delve delve into into that a little bit so let's go back in time yep 90 early 1980s you joined jll not called jll back then
0: as jones lang as it was then in 1983 so 40 years yeah which is extraordinary really um and in 1983 i think we were just south of 500 people um our last count was 103,000. So just a bit of growth over that, that time That
1: is amazing, and and yes, yeah, so 1983, you're still there today, as you say, 40, 40 years. This will be the 41st, yes. Um, and during that time, you have done all sorts of all sorts of things, um, had some incredible achievements, worked on some amazing projects. So really um, interested to understand your your journey i suppose and what you've seen over, over those those time particularly i suppose in the world of development some of those monster projects that you've that mm. you've worked on
0: which take time and i think yeah I, in 1983 i joined into the management department at um, at jones langwighton as it was and uh, it was a full repairing and insuring portfolio so there wasn't that much of the normal management which was was quite interesting but it it meant that i got to see Um, understand an awful lot of things, understand people Um, but also I then moved out of management which wasn't easy after two years because I didn't have to move around I could get the experience I needed in the one place Um, I moved in to set up what was the first for um, Jones Lang which was a development team so I moved into an agency department and it's really I mean it takes you back but the biggest tension in what was a fantastic team was who was going to take out the team mobile and who carried the battery. Time <laughs> <laughs> you forget. You really forget. Um, and so that was the main reason to do that was to get right at the beginning of development to be able to get ourselves involved in the downstream revenue, which is the same thing that I've been doing ever since, really, one way or another. So get agency and not particularly office agency. So I did some office agency at the same time Um, which was brilliant Um, and the first site I bought has now been redeveloped and that's the one outside Slough station which O2 were in Hmm. Um, so that is scary Um, but then from there we opened the Docklands office and that's where things went it was crazy it was fantastic.
1: So tell us about what the Docklands was was like when was this of late 80s or early? Late it was
0: 1986 or 7 so before Canary was built yeah um, the DLR, we we saw the opening of the DLR um, and it was, uh, according to James in our first regional office. It was six miles east. <laughs> they called it our first regional office. It's fantastic. But it was really, really pioneering stuff. And at the time, everyone said, what on earth are you doing? You know, you're going to the eastern outpost, as I called it. Um, and, um, and my maiden name was Cox, so my nickname was Cox from the docks. <laughs> so it was fantastic. You know, it really was. And and we had an office which is on Heron Keys, which was opposite Canary. And when they started building Canary, I honestly felt every single pile <laughs> bumping its way through. It was, it was amazing. Um, and so it was, in a way, that was probably one of the... The sort of the times where I took a risk because it was leaving the mainstream office, it was doing something, but it was really, you know, I must have been a tour guide for a very long time from (laughs) all sorts of people going around Docklands. We also went around La Défense in Paris because there was a lot of similarities drawn between what Paris had done and what London was doing. But it was a remarkable foresight. And the enterprise zone status is not like the enterprise zone status that we have now. that was you know a tax break have thirty five percent of your build cost if you were making money, so you saved your corporate tax, hmm. so everyone was piling in yeah. um, and also individual investors were buying. But the occupational market all of a sudden really ground to a halt. Um, we let the first building, which was Hartsmere House, at £18.50. And we could have set a rent at anything at that time because there was no comparables. Um, and then towards the end of the 80s into the 90s, we couldn't give anything away. Huh. It was really hard work. Um, but in the meantime, Canary was coming out of the ground. Um, but uh, then,
1: how did you, I just want to um, pause there for a second because, um, you know, you talked about taking a risk and moving to that to that office, to the first <laughs> regional office. <laughs> um and then, you know, there there being all of this interest and then suddenly things drying up. How did you how did you cope with that? Some still relatively early on in, in your career you had taken this this big risk. What did what helped you through those those moments? Well I think
0: part of it was just being part of what was the Docklands experience, mm-hmm. and the fact that we did have an office out there, um, we shut it in '91. Um, and uh, the difficulty when there was no market—it wasn't like you could say we'll c- just cut our rent. There was no market, mm. you know. And so the hardest thing we were doing was to actually keep. And, and try and encourage the landlords to maintain the, the rental profile. It wasn't that the rent was wrong. It's just everything was wrong. The markets were wrong. This was a new market. And, I mean, that is one of the big learnings, is that actually when you, you need to start, you need to commit to places to put them on the map. And this was really early doors. And those pioneering... Um, it was the Daily Telegraph that was was there first. That was the biggest occupier. But it was it was really interesting to to go through that and understand just how people shrink and locations shrink back to core. Um, And at that time, that really wasn't a market that you could say that about. Mm -hmm. Um, And coupled with the DLR, which was functioning, but it was was not without its troubles. And the new road had only just been built. So that was the most expensive piece of road in Europe before the airport was happening. So there was lots of things that were about to happen but hadn't quite happened yet. Mm. I mean, from a personal point of view, when we shut the office, I was... I'd had James, my eldest, I have to mark these things by the my <laughs> children, and I was pregnant with um, Charlie, and I was feeling, oh, my Lord, this is a bit of a difficult situation <laughs> to be in, shutting the office, um, and uh, going on maternity leave, which in itself was a bit of a first, that whole... Um, motherhood piece was a bit of a shock to everyone's system not least mine but also um Lang Whitten, who hadn't had an agency partner return on maternity leave at all so the sort of slightly glib remarks about when you're leaving sort of made them made <laughs> stuck with me a little bit yeah yeah <laughs> so you know no, that was the still h- here 40 years <laughs> later absolutely and had three <laughs> I had three months off with all three of them wow because that, that's the way it was it wasn't, it wasn't for any other reason than that, that's the way it was um, but it does make me smile because um, I do remember and this is slightly going a bit off piece but it is slightly relevant to my story I do remember when we became partnership as, uh, when, uh, when we uh, were incorporated now, when we became a partnership and I became a partner they asked me to sign a contract and there was no maternity provisions in it so I said I wouldn't and they were horrified they had no idea and then and then they sort of suggested, well, how many times are you going on to leave? And I thought, no, no, family planning isn't what part, part of part of this discussion at all. It was jocular, but it was it was very funny. Um so yeah, so so I did feel remarkably vulnerable at that time when the Doctor's office was shut. Um but for for no real reason other than it was in all in my head really. There was no suggestion and it, it and I ended up coming back. It was interesting. Um Because we were very, and as a house, we have been very landlord-orientated, landowner rather than occupier, until about then. And it was a real push at that time to get close to the major occupiers. And so I became one of the first client relationship managers for British Telecom, Mm. BT. um, And they were going from a very regionalised, localised operation where they had a depot and an exchange and, and all of those... Functional things in every single city in every single place to one which was was regionalizing at best, nationalizing potentially yeah and so all of the surveying people at BT as opposed to being rewarded for acquiring things, they were now being rewarded for disposing of things, and a lot of their their portfolio were developments, so it made sense for me to then become involved with them, which was a, it was great, and it was a really good insight to what the way occupiers think and actually real estate is just a thing that they need it's not what they do and so the priorities of necessarily um, maximizing um, uh, revenue or financial gain isn't sometimes what they want it might be a liability that actually they just don't want to deal with it anymore and so you change the way you look at things when you look at it through an occupier's eyes because those priorities you need to think about it in terms of their criteria rather than as a landlord's, which is, you know, the highest rent I can possibly get and everything else. So it was, it was really interesting. And from a development point of view, it also gave me an insight as to how they were looking at their developments. And I, I mean, going way back when, BT were running a whole work styles programme, um, which was a first about how they centralized but also you know who sits where, how they aggregate, what's the office, what sort of office do you want um, and so there was a lot of crossover and, and the beginnings of that sort of thinking about the place being a really important part of the brand but also the people um, and so that was that was really interesting. And some of that learning has carried through all the way through into my development because you have to think about who's going to be there and the places that you're making now, which in individual buildings you suddenly... That's what they were trying to do in individual buildings yes. was create a whole place within a building. Now, with the bigger developments, you're trying to do that from a mixed-use point of view across a whole a whole new development.
1: And that's so important, isn't it, particularly... You know, we're here for, for in this school of hard knocks to, I guess, sort of help people understand the ebbs and flows of mm. real estate. You know, What goes up comes, comes down and it does go back up again. And when you're doing big scale development, you know, when you're doing Canary Wharf, when you're doing the Olympic Park, when you're doing the Millennium Dome, all those sort of, sort of things, you need to think long term, mm. don't you? And for, for you to be able to do that, you need to understand the occupier and how yep. they ebb and, ebb and flow as, <laughs> as well.
0: I think I think it's it's really important. And from all of the downs, um, things change, and they often for the better. Um, And I think that um, you know the one thing that that told me was a degree of resilience. So from working you know as a leasing agent and and on developments in in uh, in the Isle of Dogs to you know working for an occupier in BT, that was a big change. Great learning, great learning. Come to that. Um, But I think that you will find that what we now need to do with the places that we're making and the developments, they do take time. And you can't, if you start to try and take the biggest buck out at the beginning, you're losing the opportunity of the growth. Um, You know, I'd always remember from running the numbers at King's Cross on the the office rents were £38 maximum. You know, they're into sort of 90s now. Um, but if you'd got out then, you wouldn't have had the benefit, which was why that the, the JV that we set up there was just worked so well, because they were in for the whole thing. And they f- could afford to put um, in, certainly, users, meanwhile uses, that they weren't necessarily going to profit from. They didn't need to get the top rent right from day one because they weren't going to sell it out at that time. And I think that that long-termism, it's hard. It's hard because when you're running numbers now on developments and the viability is is questionable, it's really hard to think that actually what you need to make sure of is the ingredients are right. Because the good thing is with mixed use is that they don't often all (coughs) crash. I talk slightly against myself except for the global recession. All of the markets don't go at the same time. Mm. So there's always bits of markets that will be doing better than others and that gives you a hedge against it if you're into across all of the uses Um, but it also means that you've got to think about um, making sure that that as you bring on development you make commitments in the early stages which will see through that first difficult part because I mean how many King's Crosses this must be the third or fourth recession that they've Oh, I used the R word.
1: It's, it's okay. Not, you're
0: allowed. <laughs> I, know, I, don't, I hate it though. You <laughs> need to talk, talk yourself into one if you use it too often. Um, and so, yeah, you you know that the markets are going to come back and, and it'll be one bit of a market or a new or emerging market. And that's those are the exciting things. I mean... Just think of all of the different markets there are in the living space as there was in those days. you know it was private for sale and a bit of affordable were all the numbers that you needed to know hmm. now you've got you know students, senior living, bill to rent, all sorts of different things which give a complete hedge because you are appealing to different markets across that living space
1: so there's a a lesson there I, and I know you're a big fan of keep learning I know that's your that's your thing. Um, There's a lesson there, isn't there, for people in that, I'm going to use the R word, you know, we have been through a a, a few, you've been through a a few recessions, but as real estate um, grows up, I suppose, and there are more asset classes, more different Mm. types of living, more different types of working and playing, it does give you more armour, I suppose to su- survive those res- recessions or downturns. Let's let's hmm. call them. It, 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 is that what you you've seen? I think
0: that's th- that's really true. Um, it does give you more opportunity to uh, you know appeal across those range of markets. I think you still have to work because it's, it's like a value pendulum, as I call it. It's, you know, they swing from, um, you know, from one use to another. You know, it might be resi flavour of the month. It might be offices or whatever it might be. And so you do have to have some mindful of that. And so having some flexibility, you know, you, you some of the master planners that I've been dealing with, and, uh, you know, they're delivered over 20 something years. So you can't have a crystal ball that far ahead. I wish I could, but I uh, certainly, you know, um, but I think, as a result there has to be some flex in, in and there's probably more room for flex now because there is a a, a broader bandwidth of different uses that you can flex between. Um, but I do think also we've got to, the whole viability and value thing is is now moving to a place which I think is is really interesting because people are placing more broader value propositions rather than just a financial value solution. Mm-hmm. So social value, environmental value, they are really moving up and so in all of the future proofing of these developments you need to think about what people are going to want because we build for people, it's the environment that they want to be in and you want to make them stay there and enjoy it and keep coming back. And so I do think those other values are really what makes that happen Um, and you know it's a Uh, And and so that's what makes great places. Um, And so that whole community and the the communities, it's the one thing Canary never got right. They never involved the external community at Mm -hmm. all. In fact, they, you know, turn their back on them. Um, And now they're only really now the whole of that area from a residential point of view is beginning to become somewhere where people also want to live as well as work. It's a great working environment. But it you know you need to hold people there on a on a broader community basis, and I think that's what great mixed use schemes should be looking to do, yeah um, so yeah, no the variety is great, and values are really important to think about in slightly more. If you get the the environmental and social bit right, the financial bit follows, and more and more now the work that we're doing will prove that hmm. and continue to prove that, particularly. As some of the buildings hit obsolescence quicker, you know, your, your, your return uh, in terms of the livability or the length of life of, of your buildings potentially shorten. So this whole new opportunity, which is perhaps coming out of the recession, maybe slightly s- into the future, is about the change that's going to happen because th- it has to happen and our towns and cities have to reinvent themselves. And that's what's very exciting. And that's what the, the whole industry should be looking to be able to achieve.
1: Yeah, yeah. And that, and th- that is what keeps, I guess, w- one job um, interesting, is, isn't it? That yeah. there is this constant, constant change, this constant ebb and flow that enables us to do more with real estate, think differently mm. about it.
0: Yeah, no, there's no way I could have stayed in the same place that long if I hadn't been in a position to do all sorts of different things and and the development side there's never there's never the same twice but it's also allowed me, I mean anything odd used to come my way, <laughs> it was just one of those things so stadia, so that's why I had an involvement with, with the Olympics and the master plan of the Olympics, convention centre when Ken Livingstone was looking to bring a convention centre to London I was part of the team that was looking at that and then we won the Olympics which we hadn't expected to do because Paris was always the front runner uh, and so they never bothered with the convention centre because they had a bit of Olympics to put on, oh yeah. So, um, which was, from my perspective, one of the best bits. I love sports. I'm a complete sport fanatic um, and so I won't mention the darts um, <laughs> and so, you know, I'm not sure that's a sport though really, but anyway, that's another thing. But, you know, to combine your professional, uh, you know, passion with your sport passion, and, and especially around an the Olympics was, was really, really exciting from my point of view. I really enjoyed that part. Yeah.
1: Let, let's talk about some of those exciting projects, some of the key highlights in, in your career thus, thus far. Um, what are the... Uh, obviously the Olympics, so le- let's touch on that a little bit more, but some of the... Also some of the other projects or moments that you've had across your career that have been real highlights for mm-hmm. you.
0: I think um, I, I'll t- the Olympics was probably in some ways there were moments involved in that which which were really very special Um, and because at the Olympics I was seconded to the Olympic Delivery Authority or the Legacy Company and we sort of moved from one one to the other uh, for a couple of days a week so that was really really interesting and it was the first time really Legacy had been mentioned in fairness mm. um, and so we were looking at after uses for the press and media center for the stadium because um, that was going to go down to 35,000 feet th- feet seats um, from 80 so there was all sorts of all sorts of things uh, who was going to be there all of that it was really really interesting stuff um, and the master plan we spent more time doing the non-olympic master plan than the, when it because we really hadn't thought that that would going to happen. Um and then I have to say the, the the most overwhelming moment of it all was walking out onto the Olympic park when the Olympics were on and I was just overwhelmed because I hadn't actually been into the park and the landscaping and the whole way it was put together was just amazing. Um, you know, from watching them clean the soil all of that sort of stuff that you don't, you, you know, you, that backstory of watching it happen is what, when it does happen, makes makes me do what I do. Um, and so, you know, that was absolutely amazing, and I still, it still takes my breath away when I go up to the around, walk around the Olympics. It still is something that I feel, oh, you know, there's a bit of bit of me in here, hmm. and also Canary. But Canary, we were involved on the occupancy side, on the leasing side, and have been for for ages. Um, but I wasn't necessarily involved on the development side itself. But having watched it come out of the ground, you feel as though there's a bit of you there anyway, if only blood, sweat and tears. <laughs> um, but then I think also King's Cross, I, I, we, we were, we'd selected Argent in 2000 um, for London Con- Continental Railways um, and Excel, and that was um, pretty pioneering for the public sector to do a full joint venture so we selected them in 2000 and they got consent in about 2007 and so they were responsible for getting the consent and then at that that time once the consent there was a valuation done and that was helped capitalise the joint venture so it was match funded Um, but that was at the time 2007 Lehman Brothers were walking the boxes out of the door Um, and so not a great time to value land (laughs) But having said that, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing. If it had been huge, then it might not have lasted that recession. <laughs> and also, the um, the really interesting thing was was that we had uh, Central Saint Martins on site, so there were cranes um, in in King's Cross at that time, which, you know, really helped kickstart the whole thing. It was it was suddenly very real, and that's what really made it made it work. I think that that was a stroke of um, it, it worked in so many ways at so many levels having that happen um, and so that was that was a really high moment out of a low moment was a getting through making sure that the JV all gelled and everything but then to see that happen and, ag- and again it's still one of those places when I walk around I think gosh I remember when I, I never used to walk up York Road mm. I was frightened it was, you know, I used to get in at, into the station at the back as soon as I could, and walk in along the platforms rather than walk down York Road. Um, you isn't just that, forget. Isn't
1: that brilliant? That, like that, uh, and I, you know, I always go on about it, uh, this, and I know that it's something that you believe as well. But this pa- the power of real estate of development to mm. really change places and mm. and make things better. I know that you know there's a gentrification issue sometimes as well, but if we think about it you know from people not being f- frightened to uh, being in a place where they can feel safe absolutely and and y- yeah i think i think the gentrification argument if
0: if you look really a l- sort of even longer term you know cities grow and then they re- we're urbanizing again and so the edges people are moving back into core city and mm. which i would c- call king's cross now part of that core Um, and people want to be where those great places are now. So it's difficult to say you've edged people out, and yes, there's always an element of it, Um, but I think that you are creating a different vibrancy which draws other people to it, and I think that those, uh, the affordability of housing, I mean, that is a whole different... I could (laughs) could talk to you for hours on that Um, because it's one of the things I think London really does need to sort because we are becoming unaffordable for the very core talent that we want to be having into our city but as I say that's another thing Um, but places and different these different um, products like build to rent and everything else are also fulfilling some of that so they'll be able to attract a different sort of of, um, uh, talent um, and be able to house them as long as we can really think very hardly about that whole affordability um but uh, that's is what makes. It, it takes time, though. That's the thing. I mean, it. You know, and I think that's one of the things about um, about you know the hard knocks of recession is with development. You know, you you got to take if, them on the chin. <laughs> you just have to keep going. Um, and and so whilst the markets go up and down up and down up and down and you want to catch them obviously with a mixed use development you hopefully can catch all the different bits as they're going up but actually there's almost a steady state because it's still land in a very prime place Um, and what's what's harder though is the more regenerative projects i mean a bit like Kings Crosses was but the more peripheral ones where you're having to create a new location Mm. Um, and there you have to be quite brave I think you have to create you have to take risks you have to build um, speculatively Um, difficult word especially in this market Um, but you have to be able to start to put places on the map so people can believe because foresight is very hard for people in the built environment I think You you look at a blank Sort of piece of ground, and it's quite difficult to visualize. No matter how much the CGI's and everything else make it so livable, and you can fly through places, people want to feel it and touch it, and you know they they want to believe it, um, particularly if you are going to be living there. Yeah, I think that's really important.
1: How do you how do you find that bravery? I suppose, and then I am always interested, particularly with big, long term development projects. How do you have the patience i suppose to to see it through especially when things do go up and down and sometimes it might have to pause we all know about planning taking forever in a day
0: Um, i think you have to build in a degree of resilience and flexibility um, into anything that you're doing i think that we do have to start to encourage long-term money because that's the very difficult part. Is that actually, especially when you've got a big infrastructure up front to get it all going, and you know that is is very hard to to you know find people and and money that wants to stay in for that period of time when it might be five years, six years before you even start to put any you know build any buildings through mm. the planning process, um, you know and. So I I think that that's, that's part of the secret is to try and get people to think longer term, um, and and wait longer before they get a return because the returns will be better if they do. But it's it's quite a difficult one. Um, I also just think that we somehow need to make our planning process easier. Um, and again, that's another another long conversation <laughs> it could be, um, but. I think we, we need to have some ability to have that f- flexibility. We try to button things down in all of these long-term situations really quite tightly. Um, and also we're quite asking quite a lot of the big risk takers, which is the developer and the investor. Um, and so having the best of everything, which makes the viability particularly difficult, is very hard and so I, I I do sort of wish that we could try and have a situation where there is a focus of what's really important for that particular authority or that particular place, and that's what they really want to see happen, and they're prepared to say, right we'll we'll go for that, and we might have to park some of the other asks just at the moment just because we can't have everything all at once at the beginning yeah um, and so uh, I think it it's that long-termism, I think, is, is the bit that we need to somehow boil into the, the real estate world a bit longer.
1: Have we progressed any closer to that? Oh,
0: I think we have. I think we have. And I, I, one of the reasons why we have is actually, I, and I think probably as a result of Build to Rent becoming an, a residential investable proposition now for the UK institutions... Um, they're beginning to think about places rather than which include residential rather than either a commercial separate that's something that we could do better though Mm -hmm. still there's still a bit of an oil and water between resi and, and commercial. You know, a long term view from a commercial and, and a, a short term in and out view from the the residential, you know, the house builders. They're a cash flow business. What, what, what more can you expect? So there needs to be a bit more slush across, uh, you know, slush. That's a, a, a very technical term, <laughs> but there needs to be a bit more um, flexibility or ways that money can be invested over the long term and across those mix of uses so that so that people share in all of it rather than just one particular use of it because that also then helps you with the ground floor and the place and having some sort of commonality of what that place is going to be Mm. rather than perhaps selling off Bits and pieces, which then potentially lose that vision because they're only responsible for their office building on the top left hand corner, and, and they don't really mind what's happening on the bottom right hand corner, if it's resi or whatever else. But the ground floor mines, you know the place mines and the people moving between those buildings mind. And so that that overcoming that piece, I think, is really important.
1: it's um it's really interesting to hear you talk about flexibility because through all of these conversations that i've had so so far it's a word that is used in um uh, by everyone in in different ways it as a as a way to actually navigate um the ups and downs because if mm-hmm. we can be flexible in the um the way that we invest the way that we build and actually the way that we approach a situation mm. then, I, then we can survive it if, you, if it's okay well I need to draw the reins in a little bit now and I've got that flexibility within my business to be able to do that then it's okay you know i worry about tomorrow and, and um, or today and then the rest will, rest will be okay so it's quite a powerful word isn't it flexibility
0: It, it is and I think that you know we are in a play uh, in, in a situation of huge change um, and it's accelerating well, I haven't even talked about artificial intelligence and all of that <laughs> sort of stuff but you know just like I talked about the mobile phone you know where it was a brick and I needed to carry a battery you know you think of the pace of change um, and just in that one that one instrument that now everybody cannot live without um, but you think about the number of different uses that we now have to deal with you know change and change is just going to accelerate because people want things more instantly than ever I'm not sure that that's great <laughs> in so many ways um, but I think as a real estate product and and products we have to build in a level of flexibility even within buildings so that they can flex between uses um, so that they they can actually Build in more resilience as a result of the changes that we're going to see, um, and I think we'll we will be doing that a lot better. We will will be forced into it, as I said before, because that that the, the whole the way that we live, the whole town centre, the the whole way to bring back life into some of these places is going to involve a lot of change, and uh, change for the better. Mm. Um, so I think that that yeah flexibility is going to be. A really important thing, but change is going to be phenomenal i think
1: mm.
0: it's going to be a roller coaster oh we l- I like a roller coaster well, yeah, it's quite well. fun
1: yeah um so we' uh, talking of roller coaster we talked about some of the ups the yep. b- the highlights of of your career um let's go to some of the some of the lows and i don't i don't want to necessarily hang there for a a negative reason, although you know I can never help myself <laughs> um but what we learn from those low low times and and what we get out of what we get out of them
0: I think you learn from the low times and from my own personal experience um, you learn that you you just keep going I mean that resilience piece is is really really important and you learn that you have to hashtag keep learning Mm -hmm. because if you if you have it's a bit like the flexibility if you're so rigid in what you do and what you think you can do then a you're being slightly untrue to yourself because you can often do an awful lot more than you think you can but also you you just you you're forever judging yourself within that narrow band of, of of what your skills are so i think that's that's a really out of the lows there's always opportunity and I think that's you know, and and that you know back to um, being the BT, you know, looking after BT for a little while. Back to then going in and doing the um, secondments to people, and and I'm always there's always an opportunity to ride out whatever the particular low is. And I also think that we ought to bear in mind that you know we're all we're all people. And lows happen not just from a, an economic point of view; they happen from a personal point of view mm. as well. And so, I, I do think we have to be very careful that we don't um, you know, we ignore those at our peril, you know, because those are the really important things that you have to focus on. At the end of the day, your health and happiness is way before anything else. Um, and if you're healthy and happy, then you do a good job, mm. and and it's and it's in that order. Um, and so, I do think that sometimes know the markets and being really is 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 de minimis by by comparison to to other times where where you have lows um you know so so i and i've i've been poorly I, I was unhealthy for a while and and you know that was that was a shock to my system um and a shock to the family mm. i mean i couldn't even remember my kids names you know that was just so i have a perspective on these things that perhaps is slightly slightly different um so those lows, from a work perspective, you work, th- you learn your way through them, and you find out opportunities because there will always be an opportunity as a result of it.
1: Do you do you feel some responsibility, given that you've you know you've lived through um, that real troublesome time, and you don't you don't want to say to people you need to experience that to be able to? <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> but, no do you, a bit. <laughs> but do you do you take responsibility to share that story with people to say you know there are more important things in, in life? I've only just started to, to be perfectly
0: honest, Mm. Sam, because it's always one of those things you just didn't talk about. Yeah. And you didn't want any frailties that result of it for you to be, you know, you you just didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. And so, but as you get older, you probably get a little bit more sanguine about these sort of things and you want to share them because they were, they're important and you did learn a lot from them. Um, and I do think that sometimes we do forget. We get on our treadmill and we do what we do, and we keep doing what we're doing. And actually, sometimes just taking a, st- a slight step back, or being forced to take a slight step mm. back, you know, gives you a different perspective. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's not something I, I uh, have talked about that
1: much. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing here. Um, I, I kind of jumped jumped in on that because I think about you know the. The concept for this conversation was um, we are um, there, there'll be plenty of people in the real estate industry who over the last 10 years have been almost living the dream I know there's been perma crisis with COVID and Brexit mm. and all that sort of stuff but we've had free money yeah. <laughs> it's been uh, pretty g- you know it's not been ha- that hard to do the business of real estate whereas now for, for those of us who w- working before that, that decade this feels is normalizing a little bit isn't it but mm. if you've only ever been in the industry with 0% interest rates suddenly four and a half percent is massive yeah so uh, and and that resilience that you talk about might not be there so I wanted to use these conversations I suppose to help um those listeners understand that it will, be o- it will be okay it's going to be different mm. um but there are ways that you can you can get through this and I think the sort of the health and happiness is is so important in that because we you know uh, you know as a journalist we love to love to pump the pessimism and, and tell the bad stories because uh, that's what we what we do but there is there is always a brighter side isn't there
0: I think there isn't but I also think that as you know the the these points in time where things are hard and they are then I think you have to look to see what the opportunities are to, you know, either um expand your horizons, do something different, and I'm not saying leave the industry or, or goodness knows what, I'm just saying that there there is always a new bit of the market. There's always something changing. Um, the whole sustainability part of our business is changing completely and utterly. There's so many opportunities to be able to work in that and do that better. So the learning about all of that I think is really important for people to embrace. Um, and I'm really proud at JLL. We, it, it's one of those things. You know, We have so many ways that you can, whatever bit of the business you're in, learn about sustainability and how what a difference you can make and how you can contribute that. Um, I also just think that we've got to think more broadly um, and, you know, one of the things that I'm really keen to do is, is you know, the whole global experience. There are opportunities all over the place and um, experiencing different markets, different cultures, all of those sorts of things, if you're young, then, you know, I think there's, a, there really is a world out there that sometimes it, it's, it's worth having a having a look at yeah um, and so it, it's it's up to the individuals to understand what what suits them yeah. of course um, but sometimes if you if you get into a place where you think gosh this is really bad and I'm not sure how I can cope then uh, and what I can do about it then you know have a conversation with someone else try and broaden yourself out of that from a from your own career path perspective and everything else, just because um, sometimes that it's hard to break that that sort of cycle. Get up and do what you do. Um, you know, get up and do something different. It's a bit that's a bit uncomfortable. Um, but, I, uh, you know, sometimes discomfort brings real opportunity.
1: Absolutely. And to JL now, broadening your horizons doesn't mean going to the regional office in Docklands, <laughs> does it? No, 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 not at it's all. It's global.
0: It is absolutely global. And that's the bit at the moment I'm really excited about because there's so much going on. And we're sharing so much more I- I- of international best practice to because people are interested. Um, and it's really important that we do um, because... Yeah, the people have, uh, you know, come to us, UK, in terms of the real estate industry. It's very, you know, the whole process and everything is very well established. Um, but there's lots of places out there that are doing things in, in all sorts of different ways that we can we can benefit from. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I, um, I think that, that there, and, and, as, and as a business, mobility and moving our people around will make us a better business. Uh, because that again is a, about a new culture, you know. Keep, hashtag keep learning. It, it's not necessarily just learning, you know, sort of textbook learning. It's it's life learning yeah. that makes you work, you know, much better. I think.
1: Yeah. Now, before I hand you your professorship <laughs> of the School of Hard Hard Knocks, and um, I'll ask you in in a minute to give our our listeners our pupils sort of three key lessons they can take away from from this conversation we've we've touched a little bit on the on the future of, of real estate and I know you said if you had a crystal ball then life would be so much easier um, but if you um, you don't but if I magically gave you one what do you think the future of real estate looks like are you feeling positive inspired what what takes you to the future
0: I think, I mean, you have to be inspired by opportunity moving forward. It's, uh, you know, maybe it's my my nature in a difficult market, but you have to look and see just how much change there's going to be, which has got to be good. The worst thing about markets is when they're doing nothing. When they're going up and they're, they're going down, then at least they're going somewhere. Um, but also moving forward, we have to really... Embrace the changes that we are going to have to work, work through. A lot of those do and will involve development, so that's my sweet spot, so that can't be bad. Um, but I, I do think, uh, yeah, I think that that's, that's really where we have to try and make sure that as long as we understand who we're building for and what we're building and what they want, and we do our research, and we probably should do more research than we actually do do for building a product which is gonna be lasting a very long period of time, relatively speaking to others. Um, I think that, that that would that's really, really important. Um, and that, so that's, I th- in terms of the Lowe's, what you've learned from Lowe's is you've learned that if you are open to change, then embrace it. I think you've learned that you have to be flexible. If you want everyone else to be, then you can't not be flexible mm-hmm. yourself. You have to be a bit brave sometimes um, because some, it, it does involve um, you perhaps uh, being very sort of, not rigid, but being <laughs> rigid in a flexible world. Mm-hmm. Um, but actually, b- b- saying look you've you've got to stick with your knitting you've got to know you know what you do know what you know and experience will tell you that you can make the ingredients right you you, and that will see you through the bumps in the road um and so that you have to be quite resilient over Mm -hmm. by making sure that people understand that um and yeah i think i think that's that's probably right
1: and I, i i guess that that bravery that you know experience will see you see you through cu- comes with the doing as well yeah. and 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 maybe with the getting things wrong sometimes yes uh, yeah. that's how we get braver and braver and and learn more and more
0: well and I think sometimes you need to get things wrong or you need to understand how you addressed it when you got wrong for you for you to get better and learn and learn from it I think one of the, the other things that I haven't said at all which is shocking from my perspective is that the people around you are the ones that help you change mm. and give you the support you need. And actually having a good team is apt, is so fundamentally important. Whatever the team is, being a work team or a broader team across, you know, when you're doing developments, the whole piece. It is so, so important because, you know, a problem shared is a problem halved. Or whatever the expression is, but I'll go with that one anyway. Um, and and actually, having the opportunity to be open and share ideas uh, in a very diverse way with a big team is what will make the outcome that much better. Hmm. Um, and I certainly couldn't have done half of what I've any of what I've done without a great team, um, both working for great you know great people. And having great people that, that um, I now sort of lead, um, their success is, is, is my success, and I think that that's the most important thing mm. uh, you, know, you want to see them do well because then you feel a sense of achievement because and, and, and certainly as, as you know now, I want to make sure that hopefully as many people can can learn from my mistakes <laughs> and uh, try and avoid them um so yeah no i think that's that's really important your pe- the people that you work with are are, are really important
1: so lesson number 1 utilize your team yes lean on them delegate Dele- oh okay
0: i think we we're very i i think there's always a worry that you, by delegating you might be giving away or or not being seen to be the sort of um not so much the leader but but the the thought, you know, I, I hate the thought of people squirreling away doing lots of hard work in the background, and then someone else presenting what they've just, you know, delegate, give them the opportunity. Give that's what I was, I was given opportunities, and I really expect others to be the same. So I'm all for getting people, letting them get on with it, give them as much help as they as they want, and some people need more and some less. But actually, sometimes they need to make mistakes too, and as long as you can help them through that, that is probably a really important thing as well over time where people have helped me and now I feel in a better position to be able to help others. Um, So, But delegation can sometimes be the hardest thing. As you get more senior, it's Mm. very difficult to let go.
1: I feel like, Katie, you're the kind of person who early on in her career was the first person to put the hand up (laughs) to to take an opportunity and now will um, go to one of her team members and put their hand up if they're not willing to do it themselves to show them that there's that opportunity as well
0: yeah I, I i really want um i'm i'm there are a number of people in the organization um that have you know risen rising stars i've got more coming uh, and and some um a chap who's is actually not with jll anymore um he actually made it to our international director he was my graduate before me <laughs> and i said for goodness sake liam Know, how how's this happened but I was delighted absolutely delighted but, you know, um, but, that, but that is just the way it was and it was fantastic I mean, it, it, uh, so that is I think having that team and that team spirit and seeing people grow as a result of whatever little hands you, know, you, you might have helped um, along the way is, is I think really important too
1: Fantastic, okay so team, teamship including delegation and putting people's hands up for them if they need their hands putting up. Um, embracing the change mm-hmm. as as one of your, your lessons too. So really um looking at what's going on and, and rolling with it. Mm. Go with it. Make the most out of it. Seize that seize that opportunity. And then I've got to take you back to your hashtag keep keep learning. Mm.
0: Yeah, well that is something that, that um I've started to use quite a lot of over the last, I suppose, seven or eight years is that I think that that, that opportunity or the ability to keep learning in whatever you do. I mean, technology is my biggest learning at the moment because I'm hopeless at it. But it's one of <laughs> yeah, those things. Yeah, I've still got that mobile phone, have you? <laughs> I've got the brick. Um, but, you know, it, it, those are the sorts of things that you have to sort of embrace. Um, and so that hashtag keep learning is something that that has become a bit of a strap line for, for the team and, and everything else which I, I'm really I'm really pleased about because I think that has made made a huge difference. I mean and here's me saying about embrace change and I've been at the same organization for 40 years. I mean that doesn't speak as though that I'm I'm really very good at it but actually you know I've been able to do so many super things internationally as well as the ones that we've just talked about that, that are based over here. Um, and I've learned from so many great people um, and I've seen some really, really exciting things happen. And, and I've never really felt the need to change in spite of there being been opportunities to change. And for one reason or another, I've, 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 it, it's, it's suited me as long as I can make sure that I'm not treading water. Um, because that if as soon as your learning curve flattens off then you've got to try and push it again and and that is sort of lifelong learning I suppose Um, but I particularly for the youngsters listening if you feel that you're too comfortable in doing what you're doing then you need to you need to move the boundaries because you you'll learn
1: so much more yeah comfort is the death of us all isn't it (laughs) yes the right level of comfort (laughs) let's go with that Katie, thank you so much for joining us in the School of Hard Knocks. I've certainly learned a lot and I really hope that our listeners have, have too and I think some really incredible lessons and such an incredible career, 40 years and still going yes. as well. Yes, Can't get rid of you. No, not in a hurry. <laughs> <laughs> Katie, thank you for joining us. It's a pleasure, thank you. So there you have it. Lesson three in the School of Hard Knots completed. I hope that you've enjoyed the learnings as much as I have, and maybe even gotten a little bit uncomfortable. But you know the drill. School is not yet out. We're only halfway through the curriculum, and up next we have a conversation with the woman who we really should credit for the School of Hard Knots. Tune in to the next episode to hear how grit, resilience, and proper diversity features strongly on the lesson plan. for Canary Wharf Group's Jane Hollinshead. You're not going to have the grit. You're not going to have the resilience unless you've got the equilibrium and you've got the ability to take that stand back from time to time and reflect on the direction of travel. See you next time as the bell rings for the School of Hard Knocks.